0: Matthew chapter 14 verses 22 to 33 so let me read it says here immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds and after he had dismissed the crowds he went up to the mountain by himself to pray when evening came he was there alone but the boat by this time was a long way from the land beaten by the waves for the wind was against them and in the watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried, cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sing, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is God's word. Let me pray. Uh, Father Lord, just uh, thank you again for the opportunity to gather today here in, in your church, Father Lord. I want to pray right now as uh, for Pastor Ryan, as you have led him this week through this uh, scripture, Father Lord, to, to speak truth and grace and love to us today. Uh, Father Lord, just guide him, that your Holy Spirit will guide the words that come out of his mouth. Uh, and may your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: Hey, so we're in a series uh, called Wild With Grace. It's kind of a topical series, but what, we, what we're angling at is really looking at Jesus, some of Jesus's encounters um, with his disciples, with folks who were in radical desperate need of grace on his way to the cross. And today we're looking at this instance where Jesus calmed the storm with his disciples and invited Peter to join him, treading the storm on walking on water. Um, and really our aim in this is that um, is that we would grow in our ability to enjoy Him and to enjoy His grace and to grow in His grace and in turn bless others with the same grace that we've been shown as we experience His grace to be bottomless and, uh, and effective in our hearts. So here's my question to kind of get us going this morning. Have you ever been in a really bad storm before anybody? A couple of you were in a storm in Tennessee last week that was actually really bad. Some of you have been in bad storms. But I have been in bad storms but here's my other question: Have you ever been in a really bad storm on the ocean, on the sea, on a river, on a lake before? That's a whole nother level of bad storm. When I was about six years old, uh, my family and I were were uh, out on the Kentucky River. You you heard that right? We were out on a real nice vacation uh, on Kentucky River, and it was fun. And we we got to the the, the main channel of the Ohio River. They connect, and um, and a storm arose on the water and uh, the the boat was being buffeted by the waves and I was a, a six year old little boy sitting up on the front of the boat and one of the waves came over the front of the boat and it and it pushed me back and it scared me so so bad and and the way I remember it is like I was just like this this kid there all alone and I could have died in that moment and and uh, you know the crazy thing was is that my mom uh, was was behind me and ready to catch me. She was, she was keeping a close eye on me, but I, did, I wasn't aware of that. And, and the, the interesting thing about it is that when you're in the middle of that storm you, and, and something like that happens, it is like all-consuming for you. You're not aware that other people are watching for you and caring for you. And, and it kind of reminds us of what Jesus is showing his disciples today. Kind of an aside to this story is the first time I preached in Atlanta, um, you know, when when you preach, when things come out, you can't get them back, okay? And so, uh, and people record stuff now, too. So, I was preaching, and I was talk, talking about this story uh, from my childhood, and, uh, I, you know, words matter. And so, uh, so I, I was telling the story, and I said, and the boat capsized, and everybody was like... <gasps> And I just kept going, like, like nothing had happened. And uh, I think it was the only thing that people heard that day. And then I realized after the sermon that I didn't know what the word capsized actually meant. <laughs> and uh, so the boat did not go underwater completely. Uh, but anyway, the perspective of the parent caring for the child, even in the middle of the storm, is the picture that I think God would have us to have as we think about uh, this passage today and And this is a metaphor that we'll use today that Jesus, I think, invites us to use about storms, which are a storm is um, like a physical storm is any circumstantial disaster that threatens our well-being, our joy, or our flourishing as God's people. That's, that's what we could call a storm for today. I think that that metaphor works for us as we look at it. So with that in mind, here's our big idea, kind of the big thing we want to hit with this text today that it hits us with, and it's this, that the power and presence of Jesus is the only rescue that we have for the storms of life. And I just want to tell you quickly where we're headed, so you'll, you'll kind of have a roadmap map this. uh, The first point is this. Abiding in Jesus opens our eyes to see his presence and power in all things. That's the first thing we're going to talk about. The second thing, abiding in Jesus invites us to have courage in the face of fearful situations. And the third thing is this. Abiding in Jesus reminds us that his strength overcomes our weakness. So let's dig into that first point about seeing his presence and power in all things. Let me remind you of what Matthew 14, 22 through 25 says, and we'll look at the context behind it. Scriptures say this, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, and while uh, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. You know, we tend to forget that uh, Jesus was not only fully God, but He was fully man. We, We we tend to forget that and dismiss that quite often, actually. And the thing that I noticed about these four verses, and that I want to focus on for actually most of the sermon, is something that was such a priority for Jesus and his humanity. And that was his communion and abiding with his Father in heaven. That's really what Jesus was all about. So Jesus has been tempted in every way that you've been tempted, is what the book of Hebrews tells us. He's been tempted to sleep through morning prayer. Uh, he's, been, he's been tempted to work when he should have worshiped. He's been tempted to build a name for himself to make his life easier. He's been tempted in every way. And and that is exactly why we can't blow through these verses here. You see, what we want most times is we want a quick fix. Okay, Jesus, just show me how to get out of this storm, this circumstantial thing in my life that is really kind of dominating me right now. Just show me how to get through that. But the context of where Jesus is coming from is so important. When you read verse 22, which talks about uh, he and his disciples getting into the boat. So here's where he's coming from. In the beginning of Matthew chapter 14, you can look back and see that Jesus' cousin, John, was just beheaded uh, by Herod, Herod Antipas. And because he was proclaiming the arrival of God's kingdom, i.e. Jesus. He was proclaiming Jesus, get ready for Jesus, repent, turn from your sins, and he's beheaded. So what does Jesus do? He gets into a boat and gathers his disciples, and he rows out a ways from the shore in order to get away from the crowd so that they could get centered, so that he might be able to grieve and mourn and rest and find spiritual nourishment for his soul with his disciples. He's just like me and you. You think he was sad that John the Baptist got beheaded? Absolutely. Do you think that was an indictment on what his future would be? Absolutely. Jesus was grieving in the middle of what was happening here. Mark, six, Mark chapter 6 is kind of a sister text to this. It's talking about the same story from a different vantage point. And it says that Jesus wanted to get his disciples away from it all uh, so that they could find rest. That's the word it uses, rest. They could find reprieve. Jesus needed rest. And so did his disciples. Jesus was tired. So Jesus gets in a boat and is taking his disciples to another part of of the Sea of Galilee. But what happens is the crowd starts following Jesus because they want to crown him king because they've seen a few miracles that he's done. They start following him along from the shore. The, the Sea of Galilee is not huge. You can see across, the, uh, across it in most places from the shore. Um, but it is a bigger body water. It's not massive. You can see on it. And so they're following along and Jesus' disciples are on the boat and Jesus sees them. And uh, instead of just kind of blowing past them and going, he... he his heart has compassion. Like, and that word compassion is this, is this Greek word, splankno, which basically means that his, his bowels were kind of moved on the inside. He, he saw them and he had compassion. And the scriptures say in Mark 6 that he saw them and had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus is moved, even though he just wants to go and be with his father and grieve with his disciples and get away with them and rest, he's moved from the inside out to, to go and to be near to these disciples. So they, they take the boat over to the shore, and Jesus gets out and he, he begins to, to heal, and he begins to preach and teach to these disciples that are there on the shore, and he walks among them. And, and he's there all day long, and they get to the end of the day with his disciples, and they realize that nobody's got any food. And, and, and the disciples say, we've got to send these guys out of here before it gets dark. They're not going to be able to find any food. Everything's going to be closed. You know, and there's 5,000 men plus women and children. So who knows, 15, 20,000 people are sitting right there with Jesus. And all this is happening. And, and, and Jesus looks at his disciples when they say, you know, we got to go. They've got to go get some food. He says, you feed them. You feed them. And, and it's in that moment that he called his disciples to press in and tap into a, a faith and a power that was unfamiliar to them up until that point. Has Jesus ever done that to you before? He's led you to a place you have got to tap into a faith and a power that is unfamiliar to you. He did it to his disciples that day. And so they find this this little boy, I believe, and he brings his lunch, a couple fish and five loads of of bread. And they begin to multiply that with his... Jesus begins to multiply that if they bless it with the disciples. And there's so much food left over that uh, they gather up 12 baskets, the scriptures say. But I want you... I think we tend to to look at the miracles and be amazed at his power over creation. But what was the heart of Jesus? What was Jesus wanting to do all along? He was wanting to go and be with his father. The the miracle just kind of happened because there was a need, right? And the disciples just happened to join in on that because he called them to live outside of themselves. And that's what Jesus wanted to do. So what, what Jesus does after this is where we pick up in verse 22 is, is he, he's dismissing the crowds that are there after, after they've all been fed. They've all been, a lot of them have been healed. They've, they've been taught the word of God. Jesus has been among the people. He, he dismisses the disciples. He says, you guys go get in the boat because you guys need rest. You need to, to reflect. You need, you need to be restored. He sends them out and Jesus dismisses the crowds and then he finds a solitude, a place of solitude to pray himself and it's, he goes deep into the evening in prayer. And uh, uh, once they're gone, uh, Jesus and his father have time together and, and Jesus, what we see is Jesus had to have time with his father because without time in prayer and rest and solitude, Jesus could not be who God sent him to be. Let me say that again. Without, without time and prayer and rest and solitude, Jesus could not be who God sent him to be. That is his humanity. He had to be with the Father. Now let me flip this on you because Jesus is our model, right? He's our model of what a disciple is, what it looks like to follow God. Is there any way that you can be who God has designed you to be, Christian, without prayer and rest and solitude with your Father in heaven? No. In in the devotion that that Megan has put together uh, for us as a church, how how many of you guys have had a chance to look at that and maybe read some of that this week? Hasn't Megan done just a great job with that? Can, Can we just give her a round of applause and just thank her for that? Yeah, so I want to pull a quote out of what she said this week, um, uh, just, just, just kind of leading us into this. She says this, if Jesus himself needed space to draw near to God, to truly abide and to remain rooted in God so that no circumstance could control him, key word there, how much more do we? How much more do we? how much more do we need it if Jesus needed it? Because the reality is we will always and only be dominated by our circumstances if we are not spending time with our Father in heaven. That is the only possibility of your life because you are depending on the circumstances. And, and what I know what we want to hear is... is um, you know, we, we, we want to hear that we, we're just going to be able to get out of this and kind of get on with our life. But Jesus, as Jorge said earlier, is most often likes to take us through the storm, not kind of around it. That's kind of his uh, motive with us. Um, and, and what I want to tell you is that when you are rooted and abiding in Jesus, the real storm, and that's the storm that's dominated humanity, our sinful condition, has already been calmed at the cross. That's the thing that we forget. And when we abide in Jesus, we see that. Tim Keller said it like this. He he, he says this in his, he has a commentary on the book of Mark called King's Cross. And he said this, if the sight of Jesus bowing his head into that ultimate storm is burned into the core of your being, you will never say, God, don't you care about me? And if you know that He did not abandon you in that ultimate storm, what makes you think that He would abandon you in the much smaller storms that you're experiencing right now? And someday, of course, He will return and still all storms for eternity. Church, if we fail to prioritize abiding in Jesus personally, do you know what will continue to happen in your life? you will be dominated by the circumstances that you face. Because you're not able to see God's hand in the midst of it. That's the only way Jesus was ever able to see through the midst of it. And, 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 and what we're depending on, we don't abide in Jesus, what we're depending on is the right set of circumstances that will lead to an abiding life in God. And, and that's never going to happen. In fact, let me, go, let me be so bold to say this, that actually Jesus promises that that's not going to happen this side of glory. Here's what he says in John 16, It's great news. In this world, you will have trouble. Isn't that great news? In this world, you will have trouble. No, that's not great news. But the second part of the verse is, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Because I've overcome the world. So when we sink our teeth and our hearts into an abiding relationship with Jesus, prioritizing spending time in His Word with Him in prayer, what we're leaning into is the second part of that verse. That Jesus has overcome the world. The lie that we believe and, and and we get so surprised by is that we'll never have trouble in this world. And it's why it seems so foreign to us when it happens, right? It's, it, Peter talks about it in his letters. He says it's like something strange is happening. Like we shouldn't, we shouldn't approach trial and suffering and trouble that way. In fact, we ought to ex- expect it even though it's really painful and, and, it's, and it's really difficult to, to, to see Jesus in the middle of it. But life in a fallen world will be troublesome. There's no other way to thrive in this world apart from Jesus. There's no other way. There's not the right set of circumstances that we could possibly design for you that wouldn't lead to trouble. The only way that we will see his presence and his power in the midst of a, of a, of a troubling and storm-filled world is through abiding in him. And abiding in him, that's, a, that's, a, that's kind of a, a great kind of um, word to describe what it's like, but it's, but it's hard to describe, right? I mean, we kinda, if you're anything like me, you kind of want, okay, give me, the, give me the 10 steps to an abiding life right here. It's a life of prayer, okay? And what is, what is prayer? Is it, it, pray, prayer is communion with God. So that's, that's everything from actual prayer to God, petition, supplication, all of those things with God. It's, it's just an abiding life and following Jesus. It's just seeing that this is a, a father and son and a father and daughter endeavor that life in this world is. It's inviting Jesus to be along with you in everything that you do in this life. And 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 what happens when we begin to have this abiding life that Jesus models for us is that our prayers kind of turn from, hey, hey, Jesus, get me out of this as quick as you can, to let me see your presence and power through this. I don't want to waste this, Jesus. I don't want to waste what's going on in my life. I want to see you as powerful, as as king, the most high, in the middle of this. So my question to you is to kind of wrap up this point, is do you abide in Jesus? If so, what, what's what's the evidence of what that looks like for you? I, I'm not talking about like you got the perfect quiet time, but what does it mean for you to abide in Jesus? Or, or maybe you're in a place, maybe you're a newer believer, or you, you've never really been disciple before, and you don't really know how to commune with Jesus. You, no one's really ever taught you how to to sink yourself into God's word and to and to pray and 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 to follow Jesus in community. If, if that's you, the, the most courageous thing that you could do today is say, hey, I need to be discipled. I need someone to help me know how to read God's word and, and to live as his family and community. And, and i and I got to have the courage to prioritize that with all that I am so that I can stop being dominated by these circumstances that surround me every single week. Do you know how to abide? Do you prioritize abiding in Jesus? Because it's the only way that we experience the presence and power of God. In a troubled world. Well, this, this story goes on from Jesus being with his Father. And um, the, s- the second point is this, is that abiding in Jesus invites us to have courage in the, in the face of, of fear. Uh, so as, we, as we've looked at this, one of, the, one of the most, and don't miss this, one of the most loving things that Jesus does with his disciples is that he leaves them alone on the sea and he doesn't rescue them from the storm. Think about how, how much we would be missing of Jesus' life and interaction with His disciples if He would have just pulled them out of it. Just rescued them too early before they experienced it and, and had to lean into faith. How can He lead them to the Father if He's not with the Father? He prioritizes His relationship with the Father. You, you know, it's one thing to say that you know God is omnipresent when you, when you face trials of many kinds. But it's a completely different thing to experience the, the peace that surpasses understanding in circumstantial storms, isn't it? Do you remember what um, Paul wrote to the church in Philippi uh, about this, about this peace that, 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 that Jesus could give us that surpasses understanding? Let me remind you, it comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. And the, the scriptures say this Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, i.e. abiding, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, don't be a lone ranger. Abide in Jesus. Like, like If you're not going to abide in Jesus, you're going to be anxious. That's what's going to happen. That's what he's saying. And then he says that the, 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 the fruit of an abiding life is this beautiful verse, this beautiful promise, that the peace of God... You know, you couldn't cultivate peace on your own, but the peace of God, which just happens to surpass understanding or circumstances, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, so Jesus desires to give you the peace uh, that surpasses circumstances and that's the promise for us. That, 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 that word peace is, in the Hebrew is this word shalom, which, which is really more than just like the absence of conflict that we tend to think about when we think about peace. But, but it's really, it's really the, the overarching flourishing of God's people. Like in every sector, in every sphere of who they are relationally, um, it's, it's this peace that, that's, that happens to surpass understanding. In other words, God promises that he will give us an inner life That lives out of a different narrative than the outer life that we experience. That's that's the promise that we have when we abide in Jesus. Uh, The only way that we're not defined by the storm or the circumstantial disaster that we're in is by the Father's love in Jesus that's extended to us, that we find in Him. So with this this in mind, let's continue journeying through Matthew 14 here with Jesus and His disciples on the sea. Jesus has just walked on the water, right? And, and, And here's where we pick up. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. I don't know the context of that word. I don't know if Jesus had been telling ghost stories or what, but um, they they said it's a ghost and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it's it's I. Don't be afraid. And, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, now the better translation of this is Lord, since it's you, Lord, since it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said to Peter, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. So let me let me just remind you of what's happening right now, okay? This isn't like this like the, the, the water's all calm like in the maybe the paintings you've seen or the, the movies you've seen and, and G, Jesus and Peter kinda have like this like this intimate kind of moment that like a like a great R and B song could be played behind. You know, it's it's not it's not like that. It's the storm is absolutely raging. And Jesus comes to them. He doesn't calm the storm. The boat is still rocking. It's taking on water. The storm is absolutely raging when this happens. And, and Jesus is coming back out to them. He's probably about four miles or so away from them. He's been praying all night, right? He's coming to them sometime between four and six in the morning. It's pitch black outside. It's storming. And Jesus desires to comfort them because they're afraid. Just like He had compassion on those other followers. You know, when He really wanted to go be with His Father, but His heart was drawn to people who needed Him. Jesus is the same way with His own disciples here. And, you know, isn't that so familiar for us? You know, we believe that God is sovereign, that He works all things together for the good of those who love Him. We are called according to His purpose, but we still get surprised, don't we? We we still get surprised, even though we know those truths, when, 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 when suffering or these kind of uncontrollable circumstances hit us, it takes us off guard to feel pain. It's surprising to us. I want you to think about all the, the heroes of the, the, the Older Testament. You know, Abraham, right? The, the situation with, with Abraham and Isaac, or how about Joseph and his brothers, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the, the fiery furnace you know if I were to write those stories I would change the narrative a little bit I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't let Abraham get all the way to knife point with Isaac right? That's not how I would have drawn that up it doesn't fit well in the kids Bible stories uh, you, you know or how about uh, Joseph and his brothers I mean to actually sell them into slavery I mean and then, then like you know the whole like journey and being in Egypt I mean it was just kind of dark right? Or how about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? I mean, they could get all the way to the edge of the fire, but not actually in it. But that's not the way God has chosen to work in His world with His people, is it? It's not. The the storm rages, and, and, and Jesus, kind of zooming back out, is saying to them, you know, basically focus on me, right? This is what he's telling Peter. you gotta, you got to focus because these things that are happening around you will always try to draw your attention away from a relationship with me. Everything is in our lives are screaming, don't focus on Jesus, focus on self. That, that's what, kind of what happens to us through the fall as humans. But, you know, the writer of Hebrews has given us helpful context um, for focus, when we think about an abiding life with Jesus, he says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Okay, so he's saying, remember Hebrews 11, right? Hebrews 11 is the, the hall of faith, right? Abraham and Isaac, Rahab, all, you know, Noah, Moses, all of the heroes of the faith. And he's saying, because of their stories and the way that they have experienced in me, we also can can take courage, is what he's saying. We can lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God not one of those people that that were encouraged by in Hebrews 11 experienced this this overflowing life of faith came out unscathed they all suffered tremendously as they experienced this gift of faith that God gave them and they acted upon so so the writer of Hebrews is saying, remember that this isn't unusual to experience suffering. It's par for the course in this world. But, but the race that we're running is not a race of health, wealth, and continual prosperity. It's a race towards Jesus, becoming more Christlike, becoming more like Him. That's the race that we're on. And because that's the race that we're on and not the race of health, wealth, and prosperity that we should expect these circumstantial storms, this resistance in this world. Jesus faced the greatest storm of all time, the cross, right? And there was a literal storm when he was on the cross too, right? I mean, he faced the greatest storm, which was separation from his father. The father that his entire life on this earth, he sought, he sought and prioritized so much to be with. He experienced the separation from the father, and the greatest storm of all time, when, when he bore the weight of all of our sins, he experienced that so that you and I could have courage and faith and hope in the midst of the things that we will experience because we know that he's already walked through the storm on our behalf. That's the truth of the gospel. And, and what flows from that is a different life. It means that we experience circumstances differently when we're with Jesus, than when we do on our own you know I love I love Peter here you know he's great I mean he's like hey since it's you Jesus let me come on out to you you know and and I I gotta think that that Peter wants to experience the power that God's promised to his disciples Paul talks about it in second Timothy chapter one he says God didn't give us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of self-control Peter wants to experience that. Jesus, you promised that to us. It hadn't been written yet, but you promised this to us. I want to experience it in my union with you. I want to experience this courage that's not just because I'm bold and I stick my foot in my mouth often, but because I'm with you. That's what Peter wanted to experience. You know, you know why Jesus leaves us in the storm sometimes when he could have calmed it? You know why? Because He's far more interested in our holiness than our comfort. He's he's far more interested in that. He's far more interested in our sanctification than our feelings. He's far more interested in the eternality of who we are than the temporal nature of what a, a, a great set of circumstances can make you feel. He's far more interested in our holiness and, and he wants you to know that you will only have power because of his resurrection over sin. That's the only way you'll have power. That's the only way you'll be able to take courage in the midst of things that you, you would never draw up for yourselves. But the power that he gives us through the cross, through the resurrection, leads to confidence and courage in the midst of circumstantial disasters. So where is it right now that Jesus is inviting you to kind of step out of the boat a little bit here, and I, I, I know that we could we could take this metaphor too far. This is about Jesus. This is about him being with his Father, about his power over creation. But 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 seriously, working on this metaphor, where is it that like like you are you just lack courage right now? That you're pretty afraid. You're pretty anxious. Whatever's going on in your life right now, and and and, and Jesus is in, inviting you to a deeper level of an abiding life with him, where you where you would experience the fruit of the Spirit more deeply. Instead, instead, of handling whatever it is on on your own, because you know this isn't some kind of empty self-helpism. Um, it's not about you know ten steps of being a, a storm treader yourself, like like Peter. Um, but it's it's about it's about living out of a different narrative than your circumstances. And 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 the interesting thing is is that the world tells us that our identity is found in the sum total of our decisions our opportunities, our advancements, and our disappointments, whether they're good or bad. That's what the world tells us. You know, that's what, that's, what, that's what your LinkedIn profile is telling the world, right? You know, whatever it is, that's what your social media profile is telling the world. That's what we're asking about when we talk to people, right? But the invitation in Christ is that by the gift of faith that he gives you, your eyes stay fixed on him no matter what's happening, and that's the thing that defines you. That's what Jesus invites us, us into, And and you see the the, the grip that fear has on our souls begins to fade when the the grip of Christ is stronger. And that's what what Peter was invited into in this vignette that we have in Matthew 14. And it's it's a story that will play out over and over and over again in his life as God uses him, as God humbles him, and as he builds his church. So Jesus meets us in the middle of our fear and he invites us to a better life, of him, a, a better life with Him, and that's that's the that's the invitation for us in the midst of that. So the question, just to consider for you, is this: is where is it that God's inviting me uh, to a deeper level of abiding, and that that might show itself in courage instead of fear? What is that for you? So, and and here's what we see with Peter. This is the last point right here. That abiding in Jesus reminds us that His strength overcomes our weakness let's see how it plays out with with Peter and Jesus just one more time here but when he saw the wind this is Peter he just walked out on the water in the middle of the storm he was he was afraid and and he began to sink and he and he cried out Lord Lord save me and Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to him oh you have little faith why why did you doubt and when they got into the boat the wind ceased And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. So, so Peter gets out of the boat. He's like, you know, he's like walking on the water. And I got to imagine he's like a kid that's like riding without training wheels for the first time. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, you're like. All of a sudden you realize you're doing it. You know, you, you, the training wheels are off and you are going. And then if you think about it too much though, what begins to happen is you crash, right? I mean, that's kind of what happens with with Peter is he's kind of he's he's experiencing this abiding life. I mean, that that, that, is, that is that is full of faith, full of courage, and he's walking on the water, but he begins to look at the things around him and takes his eyes off Jesus, and it's this he kind of Hebrews 12 moment for him, right? He begins, he begins to, to sink and uh and then he does the boldest thing that he could ever do and you need to remember this about today the boldest thing that peter could have done is to be humble enough to say lord save me lord save me i'm drowning i can't save myself and he cries out to him and then jesus looks at him and he says oh you of little faith why did you doubt Just a question here, though, just an observation, a possibility. Do you think it's possible that Jesus is maybe grinning at Peter a little bit when he asks this question? I think a lot of times we just kind of look at it and we're like, oh yeah, Jesus was just scolding Peter, man, Oh, you have little faith. Come on, Peter. What if he was just kind of smiling at Peter? I mean, that's that's possible, right? That's a possible that we don't see his, his, you know, focus, right? But maybe he's kind of like, come on, Peter, you think you're a little further along than you are, right? You have little faith. Who taught you to doubt, Peter? Where'd that come from? Who, who taught you to trust yourself more than me, Peter? And it leads me to think about this, this uh, idea. Where, where did doubt originate from? Where did we learn to doubt? If, 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 faith, if faith and courage and power over fear is kind of the, the design of God for our lives as we follow Him, where did doubt ever come from? Was it not in the garden when Adam and Eve took their eye off the promise of eternal life and focused more on the fruit in the garden? Well, you remember in, in Genesis 3, um, the, the serpent comes up to Adam and Eve and, and, uh, you know, and he begins to, to kind of twist God's word toward them. And then at first they kind of refute it and say, No, 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 we, we're not supposed to eat of that tree. And then as they begin to converse more with the enemy, um, they take the bait and they begin, to, they begin to doubt God's promise. And, and this is where we learn to doubt because their sin has been imputed to all of us. You're born with it, whether you like it or not. And, and, and what happens for us is that this life of faith that we were designed for has become an uphill climb for us ever since then. This life of actually taking God at his word and walking in his steps has become an uphill climb for us. And... You know, have, have you ever considered that fact that, that that doubt is not God's design? I know it seems like it is sometimes because we live so fully in it, but you weren't created for doubt. It's because of your sin that you doubt, and because of that, it's it's hard to trust others. It's hard to trust God's word to take him at his word when we when we when we when we're in prayer or when we're seeking him in his word. But by the power of the Spirit, here is what God is beginning to do in our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, is He's beginning to rewrite the code. Of, of faith and trust in your heart through His Word. That's what that's what the life of sanctification is. Is that we're we're learning to walk more fully in faith instead of doubt. And you, do you remember the story the story of Peter? What what begins to happen with Peter after this moment is is um, Jesus, uh, you know Peter Peter doubts once again, right? And he betrays Jesus. You know before the rooster crows three times, he'll betray me. Um, before the rooster crows once, she'll betray me three times. There we go. And so he does that, right? And so that's kind of where Jesus is on the cross, Peter has betrayed him. But what does Jesus do in John chapter 20 with Peter? Jesus comes out on that same sea, the Sea of Galilee, where he calmed the storm. And he comes and he meets with Peter and his disciples because they've gone back to fishing. And, and the, the beauty of this story is that Jesus meets Peter right where he's at, in the middle of his doubting. And, and he comes to him and he says, you know, when, when Peter sees that it's Jesus, he does the same thing that he did before. He didn't walk on water this time. He just jumps in. I mean, he gets buck naked and he just starts swimming toward the, to the, to the that's not in the Bible, but I'm just, you know, putting it together. He probably did that. So, um, and he starts swimming and Jesus cooks him breakfast. And there's this moment that they have where he says, Peter, do you love me? You know, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Lord, you know, I love you. Take care of my lambs. You know, he's restoring Peter. He's meeting you. He's meeting Peter. He's meeting us in that. We are Peter. We are the ones that could have faith, but also are filled with doubt. I believe, help my unbelief, as Jorge was saying. So the the question for the believer in here this morning is this. What does it look like to walk more fully in a life of faith instead of a life of doubt? The diagnostic for me... um, is 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 interesting because here's typically what happens with me when i when my life begins to be filled with doubt is is that you know i stop abiding in jesus which means this for me that i stop prioritizing morning prayer in my life because it's like spurgeon said you know the person who doesn't who doesn't seek god in the morning will hardly find him throughout the day and, and that's just the way it is it's just the way we're wired you don't find Jesus in the morning, you're probably not going to see him much throughout the day. And so I usually start letting that slip whenever I kind of get into these moments of doubt. And then God in his grace, he allows something to disrupt my apparent peace that I've had. These apparent still waters. And it's it's usually through illness, relational conflict, financial crisis, or all of the above at the same time. Um, He begins to disrupt the peace that I kind of have trusted in. And then I start trying to control the situation. I start trying to play God. I start trying to ma- manipulate my circumstances to make them better off for me, to protect myself. But then the storm keeps slipping through my hands. I, 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 start, I start grasping, but it starts slipping. And, uh, and I start losing sleep, and I get unhealthy in a myriad of ways. And then I start protecting myself relationally. I start closing down with the people that are closest to me. I start thinking that maybe, maybe it's better off to kind of live alone and protect myself. And then the Holy Spirit wakes me up. And, uh, and I surrender, and I say, God, I can't control any of this. And that's what repentance is, right? And I cry out like Peter, I can't save myself, Lord, save me. And He does, and the Lord meets me there, and though I was spiraling and, and, and sinking and grasping, the Lord lifts up my countenance. And, to the hills where my help comes from. It's not from within, but it's Jesus. And then He begins to restore me, and it's this dance in sanctification as we follow Jesus. It's this dance of of uh, you know we see that we've got sin, we see that we've got doubt, and we we repent, and God gives faith, and then we we walk in new obedience. That's kind of a, the we've talked about this before. It's kind of this gospel waltz, this dance that we do as Christians. Repentance and faith and new obedience. That's what the, the life of a disciple of Jesus looks like. And so we, we walk more fully into that. And sometimes in those moments, my circumstances change. Sometimes the storm stills. But you know what happens most of the time? It keeps raging on. But you know what's changed? I've changed. And because God has changed me and I've walked, with God through the valley of the shadow of death, like Jorge was talking about, I'm a different person. And that's the invitation for us, is that not that our circumstances would change, but that we would change. And then in God, in changing us, enables us to see the world and life circumstances differently. And it's an invitation to the world around us to see and taste that he's good. There was this um, hurricane that struck London in 1878 and it it killed a bunch of people like 364 people there was a there was a ship nearby uh, out in the bay and uh charles spurgeon was a was a preacher a very prolific preacher at metropolitan baptist church uh or metropolitan tabernacle there in um there in london and and he preached a sermon about that and he he talked about jesus calming the storm and i want to read to you a quote uh from this to close us here he says, perhaps at this very moment down in some cabin or amidst the noise and tumult and the raging of the ocean, when many are alarmed, there are Christians with calm faces patiently waiting their father's will, whether it shall be to reach the port of heaven or to be spared to come again to land in the midst of life's trials and struggles once more. So what's going on with those Christians? They feel, they feel that they are well cared for in the middle of the storm. They know that the storm has a bit in its mouth and that God holds it in and nothing can hurt them. Nothing can happen to them but what God permits. New City, may we be a church that knows that our hope is not in avoiding storms. It's not in avoiding circumstantial crises. But our hope is in the fact that we know and believe that the storm has a bit in its mouth and that God is in control. Let's pray together our father we we, we thank you um, we thank you that uh, when we were unlovable, you loved us. we thank you uh, lord, even as hard as it is to pray sometimes that we thank you that you don 't calm the storms because you love us too much to not give us more of yourself. Father, would you meet with us this morning as we continue in worship as we as we turn toward your table and we remember that Jesus has, has won the war for us. It's finished, and we can rest in Him. And we pray that all in, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.